listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Doing okay? Good, good, good. Um, today we're going to be wrapping up this series, The Letters. We're going to be looking at the last church uh, that the letters were written to. Um, we've been in this series now. This will be the seventh week. And we've been seeing how uh, John wrote these letters to these seven churches. And these, these churches, are these letters that they, they received are letters that today still speak to us, um, that were written also for us to read, written for us to be able to learn from, written for us to be challenged by, written for us to be corrected by. And so we're gonna continue looking at that today. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter three, verse 14. Um, is where we're going to begin. And uh, we'll read and, and probably just take it verse by verse today and just go through it. And I want you to see um, today the hope we have in Christ. I want you to be able to analyze your life and see where it might need to be corrected and uh, brought back into line. And, and hopefully today when we leave here, we'll have a greater trust in Jesus than we had when we walked in the door. Um, We're going to see that he really challenges the church of Laodicea. It challenges me every time I read this church, um, this letter to this church. And today I I pray that it does the same with us and that we wouldn't settle for um, just going through the motions of church. We wouldn't settle for trusting in our own ways, but we would begin to press into God even more than we have maybe more than we ever have in our life so that we can experience who he is, experience the freedom that he gives us when we trust in him and we lay everything at his feet and put it um, in his hands. And so if you will, Revelation chapter three, verse 14, we'll read this verse and then we'll pray and jump into the word. It says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. We can come and worship you. God, no matter what's gone on in our week to this point, we can come and begin to settle our minds and our hearts, begin to settle our minds and our hearts on you and begin to walk in peace as we encounter your spirit. Father, I know you're here. I, I, I sense your spirit. We know your spirit's here. And even when we don't feel it, Lord, we know your promise is we're two or more gather, that you're going to be in our midst. And so today we celebrate that. I pray our hearts would be open to receive what you have for us today, to receive the good seed of your word. Let it sink deep into our hearts, Lord, and let it produce fruit a hundred times that which is sown. Let it continue to grow in our lives and let it be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you have a difficult time trusting people? Anybody have a difficult time other than me trusting people? Sometimes it's hard to trust people. How, how many of you realize that, that we trust people every day, right? And we don't even really think about it. Um, like when you drove here today, think about how many people you trusted to stay on their side of the road, right? I think about that all the time. I'm like, I'm literally like five feet from hitting these people. I don't know who they are, what they've been doing, what's going on. And, and they... 
and I trust them to stay on their side of the road. If you wanna see how scary that is, then go like to the fair in the fall when everybody comes out, right? And just see the people you're trusting, right? It's kind of scary to think about that. It's kind of scary to think about that we don't know and we, don't, we, we, we just trust. Um, one of the things you've heard me talk about a lot, and I've sort of conquered this fear a little bit, still gets me a little bit, um, but is flying. And, and, and the problem is if I could fly the airplane, I'd be okay, but they don't let me do that, right? They've never said, sir, would you like to come and fly the airplane? Because I would know what's going on. I trust me, I have no idea what that pilot did the night before, right? And, and so it's hard uh, for me to trust. And, and so especially when I'm putting my life in someone's hands, it becomes very difficult. How about when we go to a restaurant? Most of us today probably after, after um, after church, we're going to go to a restaurant. We're going to go somewhere to eat. We have no idea what they do to our food in the back, do we? And if you're ugly to the waitress, you probably get a right? And we don't even know. And then sometimes as you're eating and enjoying a good meal, you see it on your plate. You know what it is? A hair. Ruins the whole meal. But we trust people every day. Um, I wonder this question. Um, this is what really I feel like the Lord put in my heart uh, for this week is to ask this question of what or who are we trusting in right now? Like when it comes to our lives, who or what are we trusting in right now? And what is the thing or the things that you simply right now are not trusting to God? Because one of the things that God really put in my heart this week and really challenged me with is this question and this thought. The things that I'm unwilling to trust God with, they're left up to my ability. They're left up to my ability, not just left up to my ability to do whatever I want, but, to, but left up to my ability to accomplish what God wants them to accomplish. See, this week I, was, uh, I just realized again my limitations. I realized it again. It was, a, it was just a tough week. You know, one of those weeks that you're kind of glad it just got over. You don't want to necessarily have to go back through it again. And, and I realized my own limitations. I realized how weak I can be. In fact, I felt like um, the Lord was just showing me that my strength, my muscle, it's not enough to sustain me. But many times we go through life not realizing that that. We can't sustain ourselves. We trust in ourselves. We trust in what our hands can provide. We trust in what our hands can do rather than trusting in what God can do and putting things in his hands, realizing that he can do more with it than what we can. And oftentimes, one of the reasons that we don't trust him with things is because we've allowed our experiences in the world, not God's word, to define his character and who he is. So that our experiences, maybe something that's happened in our life has caused us to project an image on God that doesn't line up with what the Bible teaches us, with what God shows us, with what, listen, with what God showed us on the cross. It's easy to look around the world and to see these things happening and to come to a place where what we begin to think is if God was good, then why would these things be happening? This is one of the things that hinders most people from coming to Christ. It's one of the things that hinders most people from trusting in God is that if God was good, then why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen, period, if God is good? And see, I struggle with that question too. Why do, why do these things happen? And I, I can tell you, I don't have an answer for that. 
Like I, the, the more I've grown in Christ, the more I've gotten to know God, the more comfortable I become saying, I don't know. But this is what I do know. And, and this is what I, I can look to. I can look to the cross where God put his son to die for my sin and reveal his love for me and reveal his goodness. So that I know some certain things about God. One of them is that God is faithful. You've heard me say this before, but I really, really, really want you to grab this because this will be the life preserver that takes you through many difficult times. I can know this, that one, God is good. I can't look at the cross and not understand and believe that God is good. Number two, God is faithful. He does everything that he promises that he will do. Number three, God is sovereign. He is in control. He's able to do what he's promised. And number four, because I know those three things, that God is good, that God is faithful and God is sovereign, I can trust him even in difficult difficult times, even in times that I don't understand what's going on, even in times when things seem to be falling apart and, and, and my strength is waning and my strength is gone. I can trust in the Lord because he is good, because he is faithful, because he is sovereign. And so I'm able to look to the cross. I see all of these things. When we look at Revelation chapter three, I told you in other letters that the very first sentence is typically what Jesus is trying to communicate. And as I studied this and as I began to read about the church in Laodicea, the thing that I began to see and the thing I began to, to, to really feel is that Jesus wants them to begin to trust him. All of the issues that Laodicea has, there's not even one good thing that he says about them, right? If the church of Philadelphia was that church that's like, hey, let's get to the end of the road and we go to be with Jesus. That's how we want to live. That's, that's the, we want to seize those opportunities we talked about last week. The church in Laodicea is that church that you don't want to be like. And so as he comes to them, he's trying to get them to see, I believe that the problem is you're not trusting in me. You don't trust me. You trust what your own hands can provide. You trust what you can do on your own. And I believe that is what he wants them to see. The Bible says in verse 14, it says, these are the words of the amen. Well, what does that mean? The words of the amen, it means it's the words of the fulfiller of the promises. That's, that's literally what that means. That's literally what that's saying is that Jesus, the one who's speaking is the fulfiller of the promises. It also says that he's the faithful and true witness. And so what you see there is the fulfiller of the promises is faithful to do what he's promised. And then the next thing you see is that he's the ruler of God's creation. And so what we see then is that the one who is the fulfiller of the promises, the one in which all promises of God are fulfilled, the one who the Bible says that all the promises are yes and amen in Christ, but he is the one who fulfills the promise. So that one who fulfills the promises, the one who always does what he promises, and now we see that he is sovereign and he is able to do what he promises. See, I believe what Jesus is wanting us to see is that there's no reason to doubt him that we can put our full trust in him. And see, here's the thing, oftentimes we grow weak, not because we're, we're sorry or lazy or because uh, we're not a good person. Many times we grow weak because we're human. And when our strength runs out, we need to realize that Jesus's strength is there, that he is faithful to be what he says he will be. My question now is this, what are you not trusting him with? Because we're gonna see what happens when we don't trust him with our life. What is it in your life? Parents, is it your children? That's a tough one for me. That's a tough one for me. 
I love my kids so much. It's oftentimes it's hard not to, to want to do what I can do with them and only trust in what I can provide, only trust in what I can do with them, not surrendering them fully to God who loves them even more than I do. How about, how about, how about relationships? What relationships in your life are not surrendered to God that you are not trusting him with? How about our marriage? Maybe there's areas of our life we're not trusting God with in our marriage. Maybe we're not fully trusting him and pursuing after him and, and, and it's, it's affecting our marriage. How about our vocation? That's another one that's difficult for me is to trust God with the church. It's his church, right? But so many times I get so worried about what's going to happen. What's going to happen with this person? What's going to happen with that person? What's going on that I don't put it in his hands? How about the things he's called us to do? Do you trust him to fulfill the calling that he's placed on your life? See, every person in here, you've got a calling to do something that God's put you here to do. Maybe it's a school teacher, a lawyer. Maybe it's a, a doctor. Maybe it's a construction worker. Maybe it could be anything. What's God called you? Are you trusting him to fulfill that in your life? Are you trusting him to bring you to wholeness? Or are you trying to find things that will make you whole? Are you trusting him with salvation? Like really trusting him with salvation? That, that, that you've come to that place of realizing it's not about me being good or bad. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. And I fully trust, I fully put my weight in my spiritual eternity, my life, my eternal life in his hands. Because that's what salvation is. You've seen me do this illustration before, but it's one of sitting in a chair where we, I would sit down and I would say, this is what it means to trust in Christ. If you pull this chair out from under me, then I would fall. And it's the same thing with us. Are we trusting in Jesus in such a way that if somehow Jesus were removed from our life, we would fall? Are we trusting him? What are we struggling today to trust him with? Because that's typically how we live. It's not our nature to surrender things to anyone, much less to surrender them to God. And so I want to ask you that again. What are you struggling to trust him with today? Because here's some of the things that happens. It says in verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. And I've heard people say that he'd rather you be cold spiritually than, than lukewarm. Uh, but, but this is what I believe this passage is saying, that, that cold water and hot water are useful. Cold water and hot water have a purpose. You can drink cold water. It can bring refreshment. You can cook with hot water. You can do things with hot water. Many times warm water can be soothing. It can be healing especially in these days, warm springs were often used to help uh, people be refreshed and healed from different types of ailments. And so I want you to see that the cold water was useful. The hot water was useful. But in this town, the water system that they had only brought lukewarm water. And it was oftentimes filled with sediment, different um, types of, of dirt and things that would come into this water system and, and would make it difficult for them to drink. And when they would drink it, it would make them sick. And so when I read this, what I see is that when we don't trust in God as the amen, when we don't trust in God as the faithful and true witness, when we don't trust in God as the ruler of God's creation, when we don't trust Jesus in these things, what we end up becoming is unuseful for the kingdom of God. We become unuseful. And see, here's the reason. Following God does not always make sense. 
You can't follow God and two plus two always equal four. Did I add that right? You can't, it just does, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Starting Connection Church didn't make sense. The things that have happened here since, they don't make sense. I remember very clearly when we were at the high school, right before we went into the one-in-one -one project and we began to raise money to build this church, but also to do missions and outreach. And, and $1 now we know goes to missions and outreach. $1 goes to the building. And, and we're still doing that. We're still raising that because there's still a lot of work to be done in our community and around the world. And I remember standing in the hallway one day and, and, and it was the day I was supposed to announce that the, the, we were gonna raise a million and a half dollars to be able to uh, build this building. And, and I remember standing there and not having a peace in my heart about it. And I remember God speaking to my heart, this whole one in one concept that we weren't supposed to raise a million and a half dollars. We were supposed to raise $3 million and that we were supposed to give a dollar away for every dollar we invested in this place. And I remember calling all of our staff together. I'm pulling them out of kids. I'm pulling them out of the hallways. I'm pulling them out of everywhere. And I said, I got to know if you're on board with me in this, because here's the place that I'm at. I don't think we're supposed to raise a million and a half, I think we're supposed to raise three. That was crazy. It didn't make sense. And, and, and yet we were all like, that's what God wants us to do. I don't think we should do it any other way. And so we go and we, we, we announce it and we began to move. And if you would have told me we'd be in a building at this time, um, I would have told you that you were crazy. I'd love to be able to say, yeah, I had faith that this would happen. I thought it'd be another five years. I thought it'd be another five years. And yet now we are in a place that's permanent. Now we're able to, to be spending this money in, on places that are outside of these walls. See, all this is is sheetrock. All it is is metal studs. It's just carpet. But we're going to make a difference outside of here because of what God does in here. And I want you to see that it doesn't always make sense to do what God tells us to do, but it's always the best way. Even when it doesn't make sense, we need to see that God wants us to be useful. But if we're going to be useful, we've got to trust him to take some steps of faith. You don't have to have enough faith to take 100 steps. You don't have to have enough faith to take 10 steps. Here's what you have to have enough faith to do. Take the next step. Where's God leading you? Are you trusting him with that? And are you willing to take the next step? What's the next step for you? For some of you, it might be getting baptized when we do our next baptisms. For some of you, it might be um, um, starting to, to actually read your Bible and begin to pursue Jesus in a very real way, asking him to come into your life. For some of us, it might be salvation. Maybe you don't know him, but there's something in your heart that tells you that this is the time. This is the time for you to come to a place of salvation in Christ. What is that next step? See, if we're gonna be useful for God, if we're gonna be useful in the kingdom, what we do is we fix our eyes on Jesus and as he steps, we step. But we have to trust him to do that because we don't always know where the path's leading. We don't always know every step of the way. He doesn't always show us everything, but this is what he does. When we take the next step, he shows us the next one. And I can tell you, this is how God works. This is what God does. And so Jesus says, I wish you were cold. Or I wish you were hot so that you'd be useful in the kingdom. Today, have you surrendered your life? Are you trusting in Jesus in such a way that today your life is useful for the kingdom because God wants to use you to bring fruit 
into the kingdom to bring fruit, the fruit of God into this world. Verse 16 says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's nice. So because you're lukewarm, he's saying because you're not useful in the kingdom and the Bible and the gospels especially are full of, of, of uh, instances where Jesus says things like this, I'm gonna put you outside of the kingdom. Basically what he's saying is if we're not useful, if we're not people who are trusting in him, then we have no part with him. It brings a separation between us and God because it's by faith that we come into his presence. It's by faith that we walk in his presence. It's by faith that we're able to live in the life that he wants to give us. And the reality of it is, if we're not cold, if we're not hot, if we're not useful, it's because we probably committed to this place of half-hearted devotion with God. Where we're not fully devoted following him. It's just a part of our life. If you were to take a pie and cut it up into eight slices, he'd be a slice. But I want you to understand God's the pan that holds the whole pie. He's not a piece, he's the whole thing. Are we fully devoted followers of Jesus? Are we disciples who are living our lives to try to make disciples, to bring other people into the kingdom? Or are we just half-hearted following him? Let me ask you this, do your lips praise him but your heart is far from him? Do we go through the motions, look, making it look as though we are a fully devoted follower, but in reality, we're not really maybe half-hearted. This is what he's telling and challenging the church in Laodicea with. And we'll see why right here. He says, you say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. And so here's what their testimony about themselves is. We're rich, we've acquired wealth, we need nothing. That's their testimony. If there's a church that we can really look at and learn from in the Bible, uh, it's the church in Laodicea and this letter written to them because this is the American church. We, we sang that song just a few minutes ago that said, Lord, I need you, I need you. But do we really sense that? Do we really feel like we need him? Do we really desire him? Is our testimony that of the Laodiceans? I'm rich. And you might say, well, I'm not really rich. You are rich. Went to Honduras, they live off of four to six dollars a day. Most of us spend more money on coffee every day than they have to live off of. You are rich. And amen. I guess somebody's listening. And so I want you to see, this is their testimony about themselves, that we're rich, we've acquired wealth, we have need of nothing. There's nothing that we need. And the reality of it is, Jesus goes, let me tell you the truth. And see, see telling people the truth is not judging them. Telling them the truth is, it's loving them. And so he's telling them the truth. He says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, that you are pitiful, that you are poor, that you are blind, and that you are naked. And that, friends, was a slap in the face to the Laodiceans. Because everything they trusted in was their um, upstanding uh, ways. Their life that they lived was so, so, so good, right? 
that the people would look at them and go, man, those Laodiceans, they got it together. They got it together. And Jesus says, nah, you're, you're wretched and pitiful. And then they, they, they were known for their banking system. Laodicea was a wealthy place. In fact, when uh, the city was destroyed uh, by earthquakes, they told the emperor, keep your money, we'll rebuild it ourselves. It was a banking center. And so he says, you're not really rich, you're poor. And then he tells them that they were blind. See, Laodicea was a city that made ISAB. They were known for their medical practices. It was, it, was a, it was a place where they made an ISAB that would actually help people with eye diseases. And so now you're thinking, we're the Laodiceans. We make this ISAB. Surely if anybody can see, it's us. And Jesus is going, no, you're blind. And then you look at it and he says, and you're naked. And the reality of it in Laodicea was they made um, a cloth. They made clothing. They made cloth out of uh, this wool that was black wool, it was very shiny wool. It was something that many people sought after, that people wanted. And so now he's hitting them everywhere that they feel like we've got it going on. He says, one, you think you're rich, but you're really poor. Your banks don't mean anything to me because your hearts are far from me. He says, two, you're blind even though you think you can see, even though you may help people see physically, you can't see yourself to even help yourself spiritually. And four, he says that you're naked. And he says, and even your black wool clothing can't cover your shame. See, one of the things that happens when we don't fully trust Jesus and we don't fully see our need for him is that we haven't come to the realization of our true spiritual reality and condition. The fallen nature that our sin has caused. So that if we can truly see this, if God can truly open our eyes to see this condition, when we sing that song and we say, Lord, I need you, it wouldn't be with this type of, of attitude, Lord, I need you. Hmm, I go fishing this afternoon, maybe golf. <sighs> Should have went to bed earlier. It doesn't go like that. When we see our true spiritual condition, what begins to happen is we begin to go, God, I need you. I see who I am apart from you and I need you. I see what I'm like and if you're not in my life, God, I need you. I know that my sin should send me to hell and separation from you for eternity. God, I need you. Be my salvation. I was thinking about the promises of God this week and this, just a few of them that I jotted down that I was thinking about as I was preparing this message. I just want you to hear some of the promises of God that he's given us. Why would we not trust these promises? The Bible says that he will always be with us in Matthew 28, 20. The Bible says he will finish the work he started in us. Does that make anybody else feel good to know that this work that's begun in us is not something that we have to complete, but just by the power of the spirit of God in us, that he's going to complete the work that he's already begun from the beginning to the end. It's all by the work of God and by the grace of God. He, he gives us a promise of salvation. He promises one day he will wipe away every tear and remove pain from our lives. He promises that he has overcome death and so shall we. He tells us that he, he still calls the wayward home. He's still calling people from far off whose hearts are far from him to come near to him. He hasn't given up on people. 
He says he will protect um, us from every weapon formed against us and refute every tongue that accuses you. He says that he has and will make us into a new creation. No matter what we've done, who we've done it with, where we've been, what life has been like for us. He says this, no matter how wretched, no matter how pitiful, no matter how poor, no matter how blind, no matter how naked and shameful you may be, if you will come to me, I will clothe you. I'll give you eyes to see. I'll, I'll, I'll give give you true riches. And he's saying to us today that if you would just trust in me and give me all of your life, then I will cover your shame. I'll cover your nakedness. I'll do all of this for you. But we've got to come to a place that we finally surrender to him and trust in him, making him our salvation. The Bible tells us that he has traded my sin and your sin for his righteousness. The Bible tells us that if we search for him, we will find him. That's a promise in the Bible in Deuteronomy 4.29, that if we will seek him, we will find him. He's not trying to hide himself from us. It's just that our hearts are far from him. So we don't really seek him. We don't really have a desire to know him. The Bible says that God has promised us blessing for those who delight themselves in his word. Let me define blessing for you. It's the peace and presence, the power and the purpose of God in our lives. It's his presence, it's his power and his purpose working in our lives. He promises this for us. He promises us comfort in our trials. He promises to supply our needs. He promises to give abundant life now. He promises to give us power for the ministry he's called us to. And he promises that one day he will return to us. These are just a handful of the promises that are in the Bible. These are just a handful of the promises that the amen, the fulfiller of every promise has given us. The one that is faithful and true, who is always faithful to fulfill his promises has been from the very beginning. Not one promise in the Bible that he hasn't fulfilled or that he will not fulfill. And the reality of it is he promises that. And this is the God who has the ability, the ruler of all creation to do everything that he's promised us. And so I want you to see today that we can trust him, that we can trust him. In fact, when you see it clearly, it doesn't make sense not to trust him. It doesn't mean that we're perfect at it. It doesn't mean that it's not a challenge, but it means that if a hundred times a day, I have to surrender things to him, then a hundred times a day, I surrender them to him because I don't want things in my life to be limited to the ability that I have. I want them to be in the hands of a God who is limitless. I want them to be in the hands of a God who can do much more with them than I can. Verse 18 says this, this is Jesus' counsel to these people. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. See, here's the thing I would tell you. Jesus wants us to trust in him so that he can supply our needs. He wants to supply our needs. I started thinking about this and I was like, you know, uh, the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. We're his bride. And I believe that Jesus is, is jealous for us in a good way. I believe he wants to be the one supplying our needs. And I got started thinking about it and comparing it to this. What if another man started buying Susan, my wife, things? Like preacher, no preacher, whatever. We're gonna have problems, Right? Because I'm the provider. I'm the one who trusts in God to provide through me for her. Some guy starts showing up at my door with groceries for Susan, for jewelry for Susan, dresses for Susan. We're gonna have issues, right? Why? Because she's my bride. Jesus is 
telling us that we're his bride. He wants to be the provider. He wants to be the one who trusts. Even when it doesn't make sense to trust him, he says, trust me. I can tell you, I've seen this time and time again, that if we'll simply yield to him, do what he says, somehow he begins to provide for us. I mean, I went to Honduras. I was like, you know what? And this is maybe too much information. I was like, you know what? About time to go and buy some new underwear. It's about time to go buy new underwear, you know, because guys, we wear them until they disintegrate, right? And, and so, so, so I came back, I was unpacking my suitcase and I had a new pair of underwear. I don't know where they came from. So if, if I've got your underwear, too bad, don't ask for them back, right? Because these are the gift from God. And that's silly. I understand that. But God provides for us in all kinds of different ways. He provides for us in ways that, that, that we can never see. Things just come out of nowhere. And, and it's when we feel that prick in our heart that says, give them 20 bucks. And we do it. And then somehow God makes that up. It's, it's that general just act of kindness that somehow gets returned to us. It's when we're obedient and we feel the power of God in his presence and we feel the joy of living out his purpose. These are the things that begin to happen when we trust him. If you look over in the next verse, the Bible tells us, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He says, so be earnest and repent. This verse, what I see is Jesus correcting his bride. Jesus correcting those he loves, not doing this in a way that he's trying to hurt them, but doing this in a way that he tries to help them. He's saying, listen, this rebuke is not because I don't love you, it's because I do love you. It's not because I don't care for you, it's because I do care for you. Friday night, I had a wedding um, on Saturday and, and I had to wear a bow tie. I'm just gonna be straight up honest, I have never tied a bow tie in my life. Friday night, I had to learn. And nearly cost me ministry because I almost disqualified myself trying to learn how to tie a bow tie. And, and, and as I was getting ready, I was like, I know what I'll do, I'll YouTube it. And so I went to YouTube and I hit one of the buttons and, and it was like this French model teaching you how to tie a bow tie. And I was like, really? You know, and they got a redneck that could do this. What you want to do is hold my beer, right? Um, and, and I'm watching this guy and it just infuriated me even more because he was like perfect and he had that accent. And just for me, like French fries is the best thing that ever came from France. I'm just saying. And, and, and as I'm watching this, he's like, so you take the die and you fold it here. And I'm like, I wish I could just reach through there and grab him by the neck, right? Because he was so perfect and his little bow tie was so perfect. And I'm sitting there for 45 minutes trying to get that thing tied. I threw it down a couple of times. I'm just going to be honest. And the thing is, like, he was so perfect. And so many times we, we don't feel that perfection. I mean, listen, none of us are perfect. And many times that drives us into this place of condemnation. And what Jesus is saying, when I come to you and I rebuke you, 
When I come to you and I correct you, I'm not doing it in order to hurt you. I'm doing it in order because I love you. The thing I want you to see is that when he comes and he corrects, it shouldn't bring us to a place of condemnation. It's just a place of correction. It's a course adjustment. It's a realization that God is telling me I need to get back on course. I trust him enough to know that he's got my best in mind. He's telling me what it is that I need to hear, even when it's not pleasant to hear it. He tells me what I need to hear so that I can get back online, back in course with him, back following him and, and, and being that disciple that he's called me to be. Then he says this, this is a, one of the famous verses in this text. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. What's Jesus doing? He's trying to get us to see his love and he's trying to get us to be willing to receive his love. So here's the Christian life. The Christian life is walking in the love of God by both giving it and receiving it. Many times what happens is we try to give something that we're not receiving. We live our life as though there's a lid over the top of our life that doesn't allow the, the love of God to pour in. Jesus is saying, look, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. Some people will say that this text is about um, Christians. Some people say it's about salvation. I don't understand why it's not both. I think both go with this text. I think both are good examples of what this scripture teaches overall. And here's the thing I would encourage you with. If the scarred hands of a bloody savior is knocking on the door of your heart today, open the door. Don't be stubborn. Don't be so resistant. See, we refuse to do things the way God asks us to do them. And it always costs us. He's saying, do you trust me enough to do what I'm asking you to do? Or am I refusing to do it God's way? Do you realize today how much God cares for you? How much God loves you? You know how much it hurts God when he sees us making mistakes, when he sees us refusing to, to, to trust him, refusing to, to receive a course correction, refusing to do what God has, has asked us to do. Is, I was reminded of this yesterday. Um, I was watching my eight-year-old play baseball. He, he turned nine on Friday. I was watching him play baseball and he was playing in right field. They hit a fly ball to him and it's tailing away from him. And he's trying, he's just had a bad day, just a rough day. I mean, just hasn't been a good day for him. And he's trying to catch it. He kind of goes and he lunges for it. It hits in his glove. He falls down. The ball pops out of his glove. And then I see him begin to tear up and I see tears begin to come down his face because it was like, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was just, he had gotten to that point where he's like, what in the world? This day couldn't get much worse. And, and I could see that in him. And what it began to do is break my heart because he had made a mistake. He had not done what he uh, was out to do, what he was trying to do. He had made a mistake and it began to break my heart. It made me want to go out on the field and just grab him and say, come on, this is just a game. This is just a game. And many times, guys, many times, what we do is we get so focused on the games, the things that don't really matter, that we take our eyes off of the thing that does matter, Christ and his call and our following him. We take our eyes off of him. We get so busy with the games and the things that go on in life that we lose sight of him. We quit trusting in him. We begin to trust in what we can do. We begin to trust in the identity that we can build. 
We begin to trust in what, how we can fix our, our wife, how we can fix our husband, when maybe the problem is we need to be fixed. We, we begin to try to figure out how we can manipulate our kids into doing what we want them to do rather than loving them and, and raising them up to know the Lord, trusting that God will lead them and guide them. We struggle when we begin to, to, to lose sleep over our vocation. We begin to lose sleep over our bank account or our 401k or whatever it is that causes us to do this. Some of us right now, we're, we're eating up with worry over our health and I understand that. We had a scare this week, just this week with my dad, another one. I'm starting to think he likes to ride in helicopters because I'm telling you, this is a third trip he's had, Lifestar. And we, we, we worry. And listen, worry is normal for human beings. But what's supernatural is when we're able to take that worry and place it on a God who is the amen, the God who is a faithful and true witness, the God who is the ruler of all creation and able to do what he has promised to do. I want you to feel the weight of that burden lifted when you finally surrender it to him. For some of us, we need to trust in him for salvation. Are you trusting in him? Have you sat down in that seat of faith, trusting in him for your eternity, trusting that he did take your sin, that he did take um, your, your, your death that you deserved and that he did give his life for you so that you can now have life. And so today I'm gonna to end this the way I started. What is it that you're not trusting God with today? What is it that you're not trusting God with today? As Chase is playing, this is what I wanna do. I'm gonna pray. Uh, and if there's something you need to leave here today, I know everybody's got something, but today God's put it on your heart. Today's the day that you leave it here. Our prayer team's gonna be here to pray with you. This is your opportunity. Say, Jesus, I don't wanna carry this anymore. You know what's gonna happen when you walk out of here, there's gonna be a strong temptation for you to put it right back on your shoulders. But what we do is we say, God, you're the same God that was in that building today is the same God that goes with you. Remember one of the promises that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you then too. We give it to him again. And no matter how many times we continue to give it to the Lord, we continue to trust the Lord. We continue to give it to him for him to do with it what he would do. We know that he's good and we know that he's sovereign and we know that he's faithful we know that we can trust him. So as I pray, I'm gonna ask you, you need prayer for something or you just wanna come and leave something here at this altar. I'm gonna ask you to get out of your seats and come as I pray, you come and spend time with the Lord. Our prayer team will be here if you wanna pray with them. If you, today, today is the day of salvation for you that you say yes to that relationship with Jesus, then I'm gonna ask you uh, to come forward, grab one of us and, and just say, today I wanna receive Christ. You can do that right here at this altar today. All right, let's pray and you move as you feel led. Jesus, we thank you for your life and your love and your grace. God, so many things go on in this world that are just tough. They're just hard, just difficult. And God, it's easy sometimes to begin to wonder, what are you doing? God, I know you're good and I know that you're faithful. I know that you're sovereign. And God, I know I can trust you. God, help me in my unbelief. 
Help us in our unbelief, God, in the areas that's hard for us to trust, God. Help us. Send your spirit to strengthen our faith. Give us that gift of faith, God, to trust. Even when things don't make sense, God, to trust, to follow, to go after you, to lean into you. Jesus, I, I just ask that you would move in a mighty way in our hearts. Rearrange things in there, in, in, in our, the core of our being so that we can begin to see things differently. Don't let us be blind, but open our eyes to see you, God. Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you for your goodness to us, for grace, for the cross, for salvation, and for the power of your spirit that lives in us now. In Jesus' name, amen.